there, I'm Becca Campbell, your pediatric sleep consultant, and this is the Little Z's Sleep Podcast, where I'm committed to resolving your child's exhausting sleep habits. Oftentimes for the toddler and preschoolers, there is a huge culprit in your child's sleep that we have to annihilate and get rid of, and that is their beloved milk. So a few weeks ago on Instagram, I showed you guys a post from Jessica Gust of Element Nutrition where the new guidelines are put out for your child's beverages, uh, whether this is water or juice or milk. And oh my goodness, you guys had a ton of questions about milk. So I wanted Jessica to come on today and speak some truth and share with us how much slash how little milk your child should be drinking. We also go through the alternatives to milk because I know you go to the dairy section and there are like at least easy six different types of milk. So which one should you choose? She walks us through that and we talk about action steps to get off of the milk um, or decrease the amount of milk, which is super important. Now in this episode, we get a little heavy into numbers. I say a little heavy. I mean, this is not a math class, but there are definitely times where we talk about ounces and numbers and milliliters. And I want you to know, instead of rushing to get a pen and notepad right now, because you may be juggling a kid or you may be just enjoying a few moments of peace while you're taking a walk or unloading the dishes or something, I want you guys to know that we have resources for you to look at. Okay. So this is yes, an audio podcast, but you can actually scroll in the show notes and find some resources where you can put some visualization to what we're talking about. All right. Now, without any more chatter here at the front, because I love to talk, let's go ahead on into the episode with Jessica Gust. Hey, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us today. I just, again, love the resources. I shared this before we even hopped on the recording. I love your resources. I love your Instagram. It's so informative and uh, very science-based, and I appreciate the stances that you take. I appreciate you giving such great hardline examples of ways that we can guide our children to the best nutrition. So thanks for being here, and I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience, who you are, where you are from, your family. Give us a little insight into you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Jessica. I am a pediatric dietitian. Um, I live in Rio Grande, California, which is just outside of San Luis Obispo. Um, it's a little town on the central coast of California. So it's a lovely beach town, um, but I'm originally from Michigan. So I really appreciate it here. <laughs> the weather's great. Um, I have um, one daughter who's two. Uh, she actually just turned two on Saturday. So that's been oh, um, you know, a fun little transition. <laughs> um, everything that comes with those toddler behaviors. Um, and Grande. Uh, and then I also work with families virtually as well. So I do a whole lot of things virtually, like um, I have a, a Facebook group that I run. I do a lot of social media stuff on Instagram. Um, and I just love connecting with parents from all over. And that's been, you know, one of the things that's been most rewarding about being on, on, the, on the internet ver- side versus just doing one-to-one in person. Yeah, I love that. It, and my connection cut out for like half a second when you said you do one-on-one work as well as virtual. Oh, yes, I do. One-on-one. Um, I have an office here locally, but I also do virtual as well. So it's been a great way to connect with people from all over instead of just the local area. Love it. That's awesome. So we'll get into the end, how people can connect with you and, and get in touch with you, especially if they want to do some work with you. But the reason I was so desperate to have you on this podcast and, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was overwhelmed with how many questions people had is about milk. Who knew that this was such a big topic? And honestly, I didn't know it was such a big topic. Growing up for us, like we were, I, I say like forced fed or forced 
you know, <laughs> giant glasses of milk. And I never really enjoyed milk. Yeah. Um, my dad, I think that's a, obviously like a generational thing. My dad was all about like, you got to drink milk at breakfast and dinner. I didn't see you drink milk. I'm like, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like milk. And so it's a huge topic. I feel like as parents, we see it as almost like a band-aid to nutrition a lot of times, um, to maybe their lack of nutrition during the day. And so when you shared about some new guidelines that came out and you shared some great graphics about milk intake and beverage intake, I knew this was a topic we had to get down and like discuss. So I asked um, our Instagram community to send questions and we literally got hundreds of questions <laughs> on milk and I boiled them down to about five overarching themes that we'll walk through. So I would love to know, and, and again, for our audience, we're going to focus on ages like one to four and then four to eight. Um, and so Jessica will walk through this, but we're going to kind of starting about the total daily amounts of milk that a you know toddler, preschooler child should be having. Yeah. So just to start, I, I want to throw in here, milk is a huge topic and it's something that comes up a lot in my communities and with patients I work with. Um, and it can be a little bit controversial. Um, so I, I'm going to give kind of an overview when we talk today and I'm going to give a lot of different options too, because one thing I always want people to know is there's no one thing that works for everybody. So um, I know sometimes when we're talking about milk, people automatically register in their head cow's milk. And I know that brings up a lot of, um, a lot of issues for some people. So some people are totally anti cow's milk. Some people, um, you know, are really anti soy milk and anti other milk. So when I talk about milk today, we're going to be overall talking about milk in general. That's going to include both cow's milk and plant-based milks. Um, because I want people to know that a lot of the things that we're talking about with these portions and these guidelines, they apply to both. So um, even though people associate milk with cow's milk, I just want to throw in here now that when we say milk, we're actually going to be talking about all the types of milks combined. Makes total sense, which is obviously <laughs> a, big, a big thing that actually people were saying, well, does, um, does the ripple pea milk, which I actually just got my daughter onto, um, <laughs> does almond milk, does soy milk, does this, is this included? So I'm super glad you gave that disclaimer uh, because it's important to know for that. So walk us through what are our milk total amounts our children, maybe I'm putting in air quotes here, like should yeah. be having. Yeah. And that's a good question. Um, the, the short answer is kids don't have to have milk necessarily of any kind to be healthy or eat a new key nutrients that kids do need for growth. And milk, cow's milk, milk alternatives, they tend to be an, an easy and good way to get some of those. Uh, so some of the big nutrients would be things like calcium, uh, vitamin D, protein, fat content, especially in the younger ages. Um, those are all things, um, including other vitamins and minerals that I didn't mention there, um, that milk provides. And so for some of these young kids that are coming off of formula or breast milk, or maybe they're still on some breast milk, um, it's just another way to get some of those key nutrients. So that's really going to be kind of the overarching reason that milk is something that's included in the diet. It's not so much that milk by itself is needed, it's that some of those nutrients are needed and that's a good way to get them. So um, when we talk about milk or when I'm talking about milk to people, I'm really looking at some of those key nutrients like calcium and vitamin D and how much do kids need at different ages. So a one to three-year-old, for example, needs around 700 milligrams of calcium a day. And I'm going to send you links for a post that I have on this so people don't have to try and, you know, memorize these numbers or write them down or even think about them so much. But I just like to give it for a guide. 
So around 700 milligrams for a one to three year old. So what does that look like as far as um, servings of milk? Well, that's total calcium needs. And calcium comes from a whole variety of foods other than just milk. So milk is only a small component of that. So if we're talking about servings of dairy, for example, that would be maybe three to four servings a day. Um, and that's going to vary by the type of dairy product that we're talking about. So whether that's milk or cheese or yogurt. So total dairy would be three to four. So that doesn't necessarily mean it all has to come from milk. Which is and a great then, point to bring up because a lot of kids are loving milk and yogurt and cheese and all these things. And so maybe you're, yeah. you've already hit the total by like 10 a.m. Yeah. Exactly. So for, for a young child, like one to three, for example, a serving of milk is around four ounces. So that's going to be around 140 milligrams. So if they only need 700 milligrams in the whole day of calcium, they're getting a good chunk of that from just one serving of the milk. So as far as total milk, I usually recommend um, limiting to 16 ounces max. Um, 24 would be the ultimate max because too much more than that can start to lead to risk for more issues with other um, vitamins and minerals, particularly iron. So that's one I talk about. Um, really high calcium intake can interfere a little bit with iron absorption. Oh, that so, is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and I include a little bit more about that in the post, which I'll, I will link to because that's a whole nother topic that we won't get into today with iron. But, um, you know, so it's one of those things where um, a lot of kids are getting too much milk. And then that's where some of those issues with iron can come in, picky eating, all of that. So around one to three, I recommend 16 ounces being a, a max. And, you know, if you're doing four ounce servings, that's four, four ounce servings right there. And that's not including any other of the dairy sources that kids might be having. Which is interesting because you may think, oh, okay, so four cups. Okay, well, that's probably, but that's not four cups. Like that's four ounces. And four, four ounce cups. You're probably naturally pouring about eight ounces in a cup because that's like when you're pouring juice or something like that. It's definitely goes fast. Yes. I, I find that a lot of parents, uh, you know, because when you're doing formula or breast milk, a lot of times you're giving eight ounce servings as your baby's getting older. But then when that transition's made, we're really focusing a little bit more on solids and less on the liquids to be providing nutrition. So the serving sizes do go down quite a bit. And a lot of people don't make that transition. So four ounces is much different than eight ounces. You know, it's 50% of that. And, and a lot of times kids are getting more than eight ounces at a serving and then they're having multiple servings a day. I'm nodding my head and like having my eyes open because <laughs> I'm like, yes, I've worked with this on so many clients. I'm not a dietitian, but I've, I've counseled so many parents on the fact that um, it's easy to give in and be like, oh, you want milk? Okay, here you go. So I guess my almost like... Um, you know, rebuttal question that I, I can hear a parent asking this in the back of my head. <laughs> how would you know, obviously because of the ounces, but how would you know that like, okay, got, you've got too many ounces. How can we stop? This is a question we're going to get is like, how do we stop offering, you know, 24 plus ounces of milk? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but one way that I recommend is start by moving milk to be more of a with the meal versus a between the meal situation. So, um, you know, try and cut back first during the daytime. Um, I find that the before bed transition is the more challenging one if you're used to giving a bottle before bed. Um, so maybe keep that one for last um, and start working the daytime milk feeds into meals. So do it with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, there's three right there. And if you're serving it with meals, then usually you can decrease the amount of filling them up at that time. Moving it with, with meals is also good um, because they're having it as part of their meal components versus a standalone item. 
because if they're drinking a lot of milk during the day as a standalone item, they tend to not eat as much at mealtimes uh, because they're getting filled up on milk. So um, if you move it to mealtimes and then you can start cutting it back down a little bit, you don't have to go from eight to four immediately. You could make a slow transition down, maybe eight to six to four, um, but really moving it to the mealtimes is my first goal for people. I, that's that's a really good action step to take. I, I will definitely share that um, it's easy to use milk as a main meal and not a beverage to the mm-hmm. meal. It's really easy, especially I find parents um, in that first zero to 12 months of age, like you're so focused on every three hours, got to have milk or got to have our bottle or got to have this or we've got to feed on demand. And then all of a sudden it's like we have to come to a screeching halt and mm-hmm. change the way we think. And no, you don't need that anymore. So that's yeah. a really hard change for people. Yeah. I think it's important too. I I talk to people a lot about this. There's no like magic line that occurs at 12 months where it's like, okay, this is time to stop. Um, You know, it it can happen a little bit after that. It can be a gradual thing. Um, I think people get really wrapped up in, oh, it's 12 months. We got to start doing milk, whether it's, you know, cow's milk or soy milk or whatever the choice is. Um, And it, it doesn't have to be like this, you know, fine line. You can make a slow transition not every child just is immediately going to accept it either. You know, it, sometimes you have to do a little bit of a mixture, whether it's formula and milk or uh, breast milk and milk and, you know, kind of slowly kind of taper how much it could taper down the breast milk, taper up the cow's milk. Yeah. Um, but a lot of parents aren't stopping breastfeeding either. And that's great. Um, you know, the world health organization actually recommends breastfeeding up until two years. And so if parents are breastfeeding, they can continue and it's something they want to do and they have the ability to do it. Um, they can continue on with breastfeeding and still introduce milk or not initially, um, and kind of work towards that. It makes total sense. And especially looking at um, that magical line that we, we, there doesn't exist, um, but it does sometimes feel like there's just so much change. And, and I preach that there is so much change that happens at 12 months. Um, but between that 12 and 13 months, you know, I'd love to see that shift and um, getting into those alternative milks that you, you preface at the beginning at that 12 or 13 month time, when you're making those changes to uh, a milk or a milk alternative, how should a parent make that decision maybe based on their child or based off of all these options that are available when you go to the dairy section? It's almost endless and there's always a new one popping up, I feel like. So how can we navigate the world of alternatives to cow's milk? Yeah, so cow's milk alternatives can be a little bit tricky. So there's there's some that are fairly equal or comparable in nutritional value, and then there's others that very much are not. And this is the conversation that gets a little bit sticky with people. Not everyone agrees on this topic, and that's okay. Not everybody has to agree. Um, but what people do need to agree, agree on is that their kids need certain nutrients for growth, whether they're getting them from cow's milk, um, a plant-based milk, or a combination of things like breast milk, uh, cow's milk, plant-based milk, and food. So really the overarching principle is that they're getting those nutrients and that parents know how to do it. So the first thing that I always like parents to look at is if they're not going to be doing cow's milk, um, which alternatives have a fairly similar nutritional um, profile? So milks like soy milk and pea milk are probably the two that are most comparable um, with regards to things like fat and protein. Some of the other milks like oat milk, almond milk, um, coconut beverage, those tend to be very low in protein, very low in fat, and often very low in calories. And we know that especially for young kids um, in that one to three range, uh, brain development is very important, growth is really important, and so we really want to be getting them the calories and the fat that they need. And if they're getting it from beverages, then we really need to maximize that intake. 
So that's kind of what I recommend looking for. Um, the link I'll send you on the, the blog post that I have is titled Milk Versus Milk Alternatives. It actually breaks down the different types of milk. And so if that's something that someone's interested in, they can look at that and it will help them to really know um, what's going on. So I'm actually going to hop in just, just to share a story. I'm going to hop in about okay. like why I chose certain milk for Ellie. So when my oldest daughter, Ellie, who's now five, when she turned one, we were on, like we'd done that gradual change, like you were speaking of, over to cow's milk. And for a good four to five months, we were constantly at the doctor for congestion, like constant. And, and we weren't even doing that. I mean, we were doing milk at breakfast and dinner. That was it. That's still what we do like to this day. Maybe if they say they want water, we do that. But it was definitely under 16 ounces. Um, for sure. And I was so confused and someone, and at the time I didn't really, I wasn't even really active on Instagram. Um, somebody told me about like, Oh, maybe you should try a different milk. And we switched to almond milk and Jessica, it changed everything. Like she yeah. stopped the congestion stopped. Like we didn't, it was crazy to me. So yeah. she had always been on almond milk until pea milk, I guess became a thing. Um, and I, I decided to like gradually switch her over to that. Cause I, I liked the idea of better, protein and, and, um, all everything that was in peas milk instead of almond milk. Um, mm -hmm. so now we're down, back down to pea milk and cow's milk for my youngest. Cause cow's milk never affected her. Like mm -hmm. it did Ellie. She's never really yeah. struggled with, um, she'll get allergies, but never like we were for Ellie. Um, yeah. so it's, it's interesting to me. Is that like a thing? Well, okay. So people always think that cow's milk like makes congestion worse and that's not like a science-based thing, but I tell people all the time, just because something is not like a universal science-based thing that's proven, that doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you that way because every body is a little bit different. So it could be for her, that's, you know, a reaction. It could be like a little bit of inflammation. That's so it could be a bit of an intolerance yeah. and that's one of the symptoms that's coming from it. So I, I would say, that's not necessarily something where I would say, oh yeah, milk causes congestion, but so many people feel like it does. And so if that's how they feel, then that's how they feel. And, and that's what's happening. Then find an alternative that works and you've done that. So, you know, I don't love almond milk mostly because of the low fat and protein content, because if they're drinking it, it's basically like water. Mm -hmm. So if it's fortified, it's providing some calcium and probably some vitamin D. Um, but you know, if they're filling up on that, they're, it's filling their belly and that's taking belly space from other important nutrients. So that's kind of the thing with young kids that I don't like about it. Not so much that it's, you know, a bad choice and it's fine for teens, you know, if they're combining it with other foods or adults, but that's kind of just the thing with young kids. No, that makes total sense. And thank goodness she's, they've both always been amazing eaters. Yeah. Um, we, we joke about how, you know, you're, you're supposed to like listen to their bodies and like what their yeah. body maybe wants. And they're so good. They'll literally like walk around <laughs> the kitchen and be like, my body wants a granola bar. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they know how to pull it. So I'm thankful that they've always been good eaters. We never had to worry about that. But yeah. um, I think that was some, I remember just going through that and being like, what, this is my first kids. I didn't know. And just interesting. And now we are faced with you go to the grocery store and you, like you said, you see everything from like now oat milk and pea mm -hmm. milk and almond milk and everything. And so it is, it can feel confusing for sure. So yeah. now that we were a lot more educated, you've walked us through the types of milk and kind of the daily amounts and what we should be looking for. One of the biggest things that I teach is cutting that bedtime milk um, for mm -hmm. bedtime routine, mm -hmm. um, especially by 13 months. I like to see it gone because it ripple has a lot of ripple effects into the nighttime. Mm -hmm. um, so you were speaking very, very uh, well about how the bedtime milk is the hardest one to cut. 
Mm-hmm. It is because it's a habit. So how do you direct families on kind of cutting that bedtime, that very last one out of the day when that is for that child, it's like mm-hmm. a crutch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, there's a couple different ways to do it. Just like there is a sleep. You can either remove it cold turkey um, or you can make, you know, a gradual transition towards like a bedtime snack and yeah. then just move it to dinner. That makes sense. So, I mean, I, I'm not a big proponent of, cause I still have people that wake up in the middle of the night and give their kid milk to get them back to sleep. And I don't know what you teach as a sleep consultant, but I very religiously followed one of our local consultants and, you know, she basically was like, you know, after that, you know, first like six to eight months or whatever, they don't like physically need like to be breastfeeding or whatever in the middle of the night to get them back to sleep. At that point, they're just learning that as more of a comfort thing versus like, you know, in those first few months, they need it because they need to be fed every so many hours. But as they get older, it's not really needed for, and I agree for nutrition needs, it's more of like a a comfort to get them back to sleep thing. Oh, absolutely. And that is such a big thing that even, even I've, I've worked with toddlers. I had one toddler who it was chocolate milk. She drank throughout the night to get herself back to sleep. And it's not, it has nothing to do really for, for what I teach is it's really after six months, like it's a habit because they're using that as a means for sleep, which is obviously not connecting the brain and the stomach and all those things. So it is so important. So, uh, we definitely want to evaluate for your toddler, making sure they're not drinking enough too much milk, which is a thing. Um, can affect other ways. And I would love for you to speak into, cause you've hinted around it, but with picky eaters, which I know you're passionate about, you have great guides um, on your website for this. Um, is there a connection between a picky eater and a child who's drinking too much milk? Um, I, I believe that there is, um, it not necessarily a direct connection, but more of a, I guess, a correlation between the two. So a lot of times with kids that are really picky eaters or, selective eaters or fussy eaters or whatever the parent wants to call them. Um, they're not, and that's very common in the toddler age between one and three. Um, it starts to really pick up around two and often will continue to four, sometimes even six. So what happens is they have a lot of preferences. Sometimes the parents are really catering to um, what they want to eat versus kind of making the choices for them or offering simple choices. That's a whole nother topic, of course. Um, But what happens is uh, it starts to become where they just don't eat very much at all at meals uh, because whether they don't like the food or they just don't want to eat it, they prefer milk. And parents are really concerned that they're not going to get enough calories or they're not going to grow on track. And so milk starts to become kind of a fallback. It's like, oh, you didn't want your your meal. Well, here's some more milk. So what happens there is milk intake really increases and then food intake decreases. And remember before I had mentioned iron deficiency is really common in young kids. Well, what happens is when food intake is low, iron rich foods are low and calcium intake goes up because milk intake goes up. So then that calcium and that iron are really competing there and, and something like iron deficiency can start happening. So in picky eaters, milk tends to be a little bit more of a crutch or a fallback, and then that can lead to other nutrient deficiencies as well. So it's kind of a balance between helping parents understand how the meal environment and how their interactions with kids can impact both uh, the foods that they're eating, but also the nutrients that they're getting. Yes. And you know, what's interesting is the, 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 like the downward 
slide that I see with what you're saying is that in the middle of the night, the child will wake up because they maybe also don't have good sleep habits. They wake up and they're crying and they, the, the parent reflects back just like any, any, any parent would be like, oh my gosh, well, what was happening? Oh, they didn't eat anything. Oh, well, I mean, we, you know, I'm not going to make a meal, but I'll give you some milk right now. And so right. milk comes back in the middle of the nighttime as yeah. more of that. And so it's just a slippery, it can become a very easy slippery slope where they're thinking that because they're not eating well during the day, they should just have more milk. So right. it is a, such an interesting thing. So how can parents who maybe they're struggling, like they're, they're listening to what you just said and they're like, yes, that's my situation. That's my kid. How can they get connected with you or any of your programs or help to solve that? Yeah, I, I work. It's just one of those things where picky eating is constantly coming up because it's a, a pretty common part of development. Um, it happens a lot in young kids. And so it's just something that I find I'm addressing over and over. Um, so there's a couple ways people can contact me. They can go to my Instagram page at elementnutrition.kids. I have a lot of resources on there. Um, I will also share, I have a um, a picky eating e-guide, like a starter guide, which kind of walks through some of the things that we talked about with the meal environments, uh, a little bit about different food groups, all of that stuff, just things that I think parents aren't necessarily educated on as part of the normal healthcare system. Uh, it's just not something that we get education on as parents. Um, you know, doctors don't always know, they don't have a lot of time to cover it. So it's something that I really value helping parents understand better. Um, so I'll send you a link to that and they can download that and, and it has more information on how to contact me, like joining my Facebook group, all these things where I provide a lot of support if they have more questions. Gotcha. That's so good. I know that um, we, we opened up by saying that this was, it's always a tricky topic. Milk is such a big topic in the yeah. um, toddler preschooler. Um, so I, I think this has given people a lot of good insight on that. And if anything, I think like a great action step today is that you can start to become aware of the amount of milk that you're serving your child and maybe just start tracking that because you may just not be aware of it. Yeah. And again, it's important to remember that it's any kind of milk that you're giving because again, we're looking at you know, milk replacing other foods. So whether it's cow's milk, soy milk, pea milk, or even if you're currently providing some of the other milk alternatives like almond milk or oat milk, uh, you know, you're still wanting to pay attention to how much you're giving them because if they're filling up on some of those other drinks, then they're probably eating less of some of those nutritious foods that they need to be having. That is such a good thing to look at. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. I know you have a lot of resources. We'll tag them in the show notes for sure. Um, so you mentioned where we can find you on Instagram at elementalnutrition.kids. Element nutrition. Element yeah. nutrition. Kids. Yeah, I know. Um, Elemental is, gets thrown out a lot, but you know, it's, it's, it's similar. <laughs> I don't know. Why, yeah. I don't know why I said that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> element nutrition. Kids. So we'll link that yeah. for sure. Um, but thank you so much for being here with us and for You're helping welcome. to share this. This is super important for people to understand. Yes, you're welcome. And like I said, I will make sure I link to all those resources so that parents have, you know, the numbers and details and they don't have to try and, and memorize everything. <laughs> so yeah, if you're driving, yeah, don't worry. We have everything written for you. Awesome. <laughs> I know. I'm always listening to podcasts when I'm walking. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's pushing it's, strollers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's walking and I've got my AirPods. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Oh my gosh. This was really great. I, I, I think it's going to be a, an excellent one to put out. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I hope you feel empowered now after hearing Jessica's information and action steps. This episode was so important for you guys, toddlers and preschoolers who have a little one who's just 
fixated on the milk. And what I love about it is you can start these things right now, today. You can start to be aware of how much milk your little one is intaking. Now, if you want to learn more about what a toddler bedtime routine or preschooler bedtime routine looks like without a sippy cup of milk, please head to episode 32. I share a bedtime routine where we're gonna have fun and we're not gonna depend on milk to get us to sleep. So that's super good. Um, another resource for you guys to check out. If you're still struggling with your toddler sleep and you know you can make sleep a thing because we definitely want them sleeping 10 to 12 hours solid all night long, you can always head over to littlezsleep.com toddler for our toddler sleep e-coaching program. Guys, thank you so much for being here. We so love that you are a consistent listener. And as always, sweet dreams. See you next time.